so Kyle, you know, we've been paying a little bit more attention to our own content here at Fidelitas lately. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you knew this or not. We actually consulted a pirate about the best type of content to use for our content marketing. You know what the pirate's favorite content format is? (laughs) What's that? The webinar. (laughs) Okay. Preferably a webinar that's B2C. Oh, definitely. Get it? No. B2SEA? Oh. <laughs> B2C? Okay, B2C. Okay, I got you. Nice. I have to spell that out since this is an audio format. But <laughs> I think you'd probably have to spell it out to me anyway. Welcome to the Lionshare Podcast. For marketing leaders, by marketing leaders. Brought to you by Fidelitas Development. Hey, boys and girls, welcome to episode 13 of the Lion Share Marketing Podcast. We've got all sorts of luck for you today when it comes to marketing tips and tricks and integrating it with sales. Can't wait to introduce you to our featured guest today, Mike McMillan. But before we get to Mike, I want to introduce our co-host coming to us from our Nashville office, Kyle. It's not a boy band, it's a man band, Weber. Kyle, it's great to have you back. Oh, yeah, it's great to be back. I've always felt like I should be in a man band, you know? Put it on your LinkedIn profile just that you're looking for members. So how is that not a social site that you can meet up with other people for like a garage band? Yeah, I'm not sure. But I also, what do you think the difference between a boy band and a man band would be? Less denim? More denim? Socks on sandals. Oh, (laughs) that sounds like a dad band though. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) That's your weird uncle band is what that is. That's your... I'm picturing a lot of tie-dye t-shirts too. Probably. Uh, that that are at least uh, floral print. Oh, yeah. Nothing sets off a band like a nice Hawaiian shirt. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Kyle, but enough about man bands. We've got a great episode uh, for our listeners today of the Lion Share Marketing Podcast. Mike McMillan from Dream CSX joins us and uh, has a great interview where he dishes about getting sales and marketing teams to work together. A pain point, I think, for all of our marketing leaders listening out there and as well as the CEOs and uh, founders that have to either wear both hats or manage both departments. So a lot of great information today. But before we get to that, Kyle, tell us, what's in the news? News team, assemble! Well, Tyler, today we have an article from cron.com entitled, Why Facebook and Google Want to Market Your Reputation Online. So the big theme around this article here is really trust. The basic question being, how can new potential customers know whether or not they can trust your brand? So the answer to this is really social proof. Social proof is one of the biggest factors in helping a new potential customer decide that everything will be okay if they buy from your brand, right? So in their heads, people are pretty much thinking, so if Joe Schmo had a great experience, then I probably will too. And this article even cites uh, Robert Cialdini, who's the author of the books Influence and Persuasion, which if you haven't read those, I haven't read Influence. I'm halfway through Persuasion. It's really enlightening. Yeah, I'll have to check those out, Kyle. I actually haven't read uh, either of those, but I'll add them to my reading list for sure. Yeah, I mean, so many great reviews that I hear around the internet and from other friends that they just love those books. And he gives a lot of great research in them. So uh, yeah, I highly recommend, at least I can halfway recommend Persuasion. So <laughs> we'll have to dig deeper into that at a later time. But so is it, are you says, an optimist, Kyle? Is the book half read or still you still have half to go? 
uh i i guess i'm an optimist because i it's half red right <laughs> uh yeah so yeah on my kindle i even always check how like what the percentage is that i've read i'm like oh yeah sweet i'm at 30 percent. i'm on my way so i basically at 30 percent, i can say that i've read the book right <laughs> yeah that's exactly right yeah that, that was my methodology in school i don't know if it's oh exactly now <laughs> yeah yeah for sure Anyway, he says that social proof is one of the critical elements to creating influence and trust in the minds of others. So Facebook, I think, would agree because they are beta testing reputation marketing. Have you heard about this yet, Tyler? Uh, I've heard a little bit about it, but please elaborate. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we don't have all the details on this yet, but Facebook, what it sounds like to me, from what I can tell, is that when a brand runs an ad, it sounds like they're going to have the option to include their star rating on the ad from their Facebook page. So if it's, and I think it has to be a four or five star for them to be able to do it. But that adds a whole new layer of social proof to the ad itself. In my opinion, I think we'll see some increased click-through rates on these ads that have this kind of social proof. Tyler, what do you think? No, I agree wholeheartedly. It's a great tool for marketers, especially on the PPC side, to make sure that you get that copy tied in. And that's one thing I think everyone struggles with is coming up with the best possible copy. You know, we're all perfectionists. So even after you have great compelling copy, you you continually manipulate it in hopes of getting slightly better results. And I think we all know that there's nothing better than social proof. So if you have a few more five-star reviews that you can actually tout in your advertising or that you can lead with on your pages, those are great. Yeah, I'm anxious to see how that's going to be done. I haven't seen any images yet. There may be some out there. I just haven't seen them yet. But I mean, who doesn't love to look at stars, right? So I think this is going to be really helpful for brands as they're advertising their ads, whether it's for you know a product or a service. It, it's going to be really interesting to see how that can boost click-through rates, and hopefully conversions as well. All right, so what about Google? Google's also getting into this game of reviews, and they have a new feature that they're coming out with called Google Customer Reviews. So just kind of shifting back to click-through rates for a second, right? Let's, let's take search ads. Right now, if a company has a three-star review, how does that compare to the performance of a company that has a five-star review, let's say in Google Local Pack, right? So according to a study by Bright Local, when users compared click-through rates from a three-star rating to a five-star rating, businesses saw an increase of 25% in their click. So 25% in their click rate, click-through rate, just because they had a five-star review instead of a three-star review. So Tyler, tell me, how important do you think it is to have good reviews? Oh, it's everything. Uh, that's the first thing a lot of, uh, especially millennials look for when they're looking to try a new business uh, is social proof. And I think for both our e-commerce marketing leaders that need to sell products a lot of times sight unseen. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, if you're buying, if you're if you're buying something on repeat, like say dog food, like we got our dog food through Amazon, like the star ratings don't really mean much because we know our dog likes the food and it's the same food he's eaten for the last three years. But if you're talking about buying something for the first time, like say furniture, and you're going to buy that online, which is becoming a bigger and bigger trend, you know, it's important to make sure that you have great reviews around those products to help 
guide the buying journey and to help increase your conversion rate because that's one of the easiest ways, along with shipping, one of the easiest ways to turn people off from buying your product is to have poor reviews. So it's very critical to solicit great reviews. And there's a phrase that we use a lot in-house at Fidelitas, which is surprise and delight. And it's very important for marketing leaders to try and find new ways that they can surprise and delight their customers to solicit those positive reviews. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And Tyler, I have to be honest, even when a product is only about 20 bucks, I still look into the reviews. I still want to know if other people have had a great experience or not, because I'm about to spend that money. But not only that, I'm about to spend that time testing the product and all of that. So I can tell you for sure, for me, at least, I really pay attention to the reviews. And guess what? Google even states how important reviews are as well. So their help center gives this little tidbit of information. Google review count and score are factored into local search ranking. So we know that, right? So they say that more reviews and positive ratings will probably improve a business's local ranking. So they come right out and say it, right? They give you a major key to improve your ranking right there in their help center. Because, you know, if you have these reviews, you will see increases. So going back to what I was saying earlier about the Google customer reviews, it sounds to me like it's going to be a lot like the reputation marketing from Facebook where in the search ads, so there'll be a little section that will show the ranking of that page. So I think that's, once again, we're, we're moving into this that, you know, there's going to be an advertisement. We want to trust these advertisements and it just adds a layer of social proof, especially because it'll be verified by Facebook and by Google that yes, this is the actual ranking of this brand. So I think that's huge. I will say that I would bet my bottom dollar that there will be, for for brands that have really focused on reputation marketing, once you include those into your ads, I think that you'll see a return on your investment like you haven't in the past. So I think, damn it, go for it, right? So in theory, the better your ranking is, the more traffic you'll get. And that should lead to more conversions and sales, right, Tyler? Yeah, Kyle, you're exactly right. And reviews are more critical than ever. And you know what helps lead to good reviews, Kyle? What's that? A great sales process. Yeah. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with Mike McMillan from Dream CSX. And welcome to the Live Share Marketing Podcast, a good friend of mine, Mike McMillan from Dream CSX. Mike, welcome. Uh, hey, thanks, Tyler. It's great to be here. Mike, great to have you. So tell us, for those that don't know, what is Dream CSX? Yeah, so Dream CSX is a combination of a outsourcing service provider, providing customer service and sales support for organizations, big and small, and an artificial intelligence house uh, that utilizes our technology to actually eliminate our call center support agents that we then outsource for companies. Uh, really focused on customer experience and you know, bringing technology to the next level inside of the market. Got it. So you're competing with yourself. Exactly. Exactly. We figured, you know, if, if you're going to try to compete, you might as well compete with yourself. <laughs> Sound sales strategy, kids. Make sure to write that one down. <laughs> On that note, so Mike, tell us a little bit more. I know, I know you've got an extensive sales background, but tell us a little bit more about how you got started and how you got to where you are today uh, before Dream CSX came into existence. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, I mean, you take it back. I mean, I, I'm a second generation call center guy. I, I'm one of the weird few who actually literally grew up in this industry. You know, I always tell everyone that, you know, my background goes so far back to where my mother was starting a call center when I was a little kid and we couldn't even afford our overnight staff yet when she was first starting up. So literally I would go home from school and go to the call center where she was at, do my homework. And then, you know, once the last employee left, we'd pull out cots and, you know, sleep on the call center floor just in case calls came in overnight. And that was you know, a lot of my upbringing uh, was back wow. in that world. And early on too, you know, she was trying to get her company going. What she would do is she would actually, you know, after I finished my homework, she used to give me the yellow pages and say, okay, I want you to call through the yellow pages here. And every time someone picks up, ask them, it was an answering service back then, ask them, is this an answering service? And if it is, highlight them in green. And if you can get the comp- if you can get the answering service's name, you know, here's the hit list of companies, just write the letter down next to which one it is. Seven, eight, nine years old, you have no idea what you're doing, but she was literally having me be her, you know, free of charge, you know, telemarketer basically. Lead gen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> lead gen. And, and and you know, and bribing me with a quarter for each one I can get highlighted or a dollar for each one I can put a uh, thing against. And that was my life, you know. So it was, you know, that's where I started out was at a really young age. And you know, from there, went in through the world, ran off to school to be a computer, you know, computer science major, wanting to program the world and computers because I thought that was cool because it wasn't call center. And then ended up back in call center again and ran a global organization, the sales and marketing. Went then from there and back into the software world and uh, ran global operations for them as well, running sales, marketing, account management, business development. And then it took a year off to actually be a dad and consult at the same time. And had an nice. opportunity to meet some, you know, tons of companies, amazing organizations, filling in kind of as their chief sales officer and really helping lead a lot of new globalized efforts uh, from a sales front I mean, a marketing perspective and really kind of bridging that gap right between sales and marketing and being that person who could be there and that outside voice who could, you know, kind of come in and get bricks thrown at them and just be okay with it because I'm going to leave at the end of the day and you guys got to deal with the political stuff. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, you know, and all that experience is really what led me to Dream CSX. You know, we, we, when I started this company and, you know, got it off the ground, I really wanted to build an organization that pulled from my background and pulled from my experiences and bring a real solution that I knew businesses really needed, which was, you know, solving a massive issue that they had with customer experience and giving them a way to diminish a top five P&L item. But at the same token, being able to drive increased revenue and drive increased customer engagement to help continue to build their businesses. And that's, that's really what our line of sight focuses on. Awesome. And so back up for a second, Mike. So tell us, obviously, you've got experience on both the sales and marketing side. Tell us, for the marketing leaders listening out there, how do you go about getting your marketing and sales teams on the same page? Obviously, that can be quite the challenge. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, bullwhips and guns help a lot. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, you know what I, I found is it's really it's exposure to what each one and the dependencies uh, that each one has on one another. So, what I found is when I can show salespeople how dependent they truly are on what marketing is doing for them, and that it generates their leads, and that it generates that continued interest and that nurturing. And then vice versa, if I can show marketing the importance that sales has on providing them the data that they need to be able to go after the right potential prospects to be able to hit their lead generation quotas, et cetera, 
it's really bringing those two together and having those conversations, which in so many organizations, especially massive organizations, just never occurs. You know, they're just two massive silos who never talk to one another. Awesome. That's great. And have you seen pretty strong success with that? Oh, 100%. When I went into my last organization, uh, actually two organizations ago, it was a company called The Connection. And when I went into there, you know, they, I was their first hire in sales in almost 16 years. They had guys who just been there forever and just done it the same way. And the first thing I recognized was just that, you know, the big thing that they were missing was just marketing and sales were never speaking. Marketing was just going down this track that they had gone down for almost 30 years and sales was doing their own thing. And in many cases, the things they were talking about and communicating to the outside world were night and day. And when we brought those two into alignment, we saw massive growth uh, in our organization. Our lead count expanded exponentially. We were able to get into markets that we only ever hoped we could get into and really were able to see some you know, exponential growth on that front. I and mean, similar, it's the same thing we're doing here at Dream CSX was really it's our marketing and sales. We, we purposely never have them ran by the same person but they all do report up into me. And then I could be that centralized body to make sure those two are never not talking to one another. That's great. And communication is so critical across the board. We preach that, especially uh, that's one thing at Fidelitas, what we try to do is we try to make sure that we get buy-in from our client sales teams, that they understand what we're doing and why. And if you have them on board, it just makes the process so much easier. Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, I've seen so many ad agencies who don't do that. And then also next thing you know, you see, you know, you see an ad go out or you see a promotion go out and literally no one in the company even has any clue what the hell is going on there and no one can then talk to it. That's exactly right. And so to back up to leads for a second, again, everyone's favorite, everyone's favorite item. Everyone loves leads, uh, except when they come from the other department, it seems. Uh, so, <laughs> and again, I think a, a lot of our listeners are probably chuckling to themselves because they hear the same. It's almost like two siblings fighting with each other. You know, the the sales team says the marketing qualified leads are no good. And the marketing team says, well, that's because they didn't follow up with them or they didn't call them or, <laughs> you know, I think, so you get both sides. What's your experience with dealing with sales qualified leads versus marketing qualified leads and making sure that the results are there no matter where the lead source came from? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you just laid out, right? The, the battleground for every battle that you're going to sit through with those two departments getting together. I, I'll tell you is that, I, what I have found is, again, it really goes back to communication, right? But it's more than that. One of the biggest things that I've done over the years is when we're having pipeline review meetings with the sales team specifically, we will pull in the marketing team to be a part of that conversation. And we expose them to the specifics of each pipeline and letting them know what is the good and bad and ugly of each side of it. So in, when we're laying out a sales strategy, what we do as far as pipelines goes, we usually have three different pipelines that run. You have your marketing funnel, which produces marketing qualified leads. We have what we call the hunter pipe, which is usually sales generated leads or you said sales qualified leads. We call it the hunter's pipe. And then the third one is referral leads, which is different topic altogether. But what we end up coming to find out is that many times when we expose marketing into what we call the hunter pipe, that is the, you know, because it is the pipeline created by the salesperson or the salespeople, I should say, what we find is that marketing is like, it, they're just usually baffled by how different it is of a target than what they're even close to working on. The demographics are night and day. The mm. companies are nothing close to what they were told to by the head of marketing that they should be going after. And 
a lot of the reason for that is because marketing is many times set on a path to go and get what the company wants to do next, where sales is going after what sells today. And that differential there is really the big reason why you see such problems with sales and marketing getting together because the alignment on what they're going after is two different things. Sales has to have quota to make. Their quota is closed deals. Marketing's quota, on the other hand, is leads. And those are two, many times, they can be very contradicting things that needs to occur. Absolutely. And so talk to us. And again, I like how you broke that down there between the marketing funnel and the, the hunter pipe. You, you broke out referrals into a third category. Maybe tell us more about that, about why you broke that out from sales and marketing into its own pool. Totally. So referrals and the reason we work, I, I look referrals into their own pipe is because we, and when I say we, it's really any of the organizations I've worked at, we always had a team who is specific to our referrals. And our referrals were worked differently than everything else because the attraction to them was a combo platter. So it was, a, it was usually a person, we'd usually poach a person out of the marketing team who actually wouldn't mind smiling and dialing, right, to actually do some outbound dialing. But they would be calling to our current client base. And the whole intention there was to actually try to generate referrals. And those required nurturing. And that's why we'd pull them out of marketing. Then that would then get assigned to a specialty team inside of our sales department who were much more customer-centric, customer service-centric than closers. They weren't hardcore closers. They're more relationship builders. And that is why we've always ma- I've always managed that into a separate pipeline by itself because it needs a different feel and touch and support methodology uh, than your traditional pipelines do. Uh, Because your traditional pipelines are, you know, these are new relationships and they have to be supported differently depending on how your business is set up. You know, is it transactional? Is it relationship? Is it the hard close, soft close kind of thing? It's, it all depends on how that business is set up for new relationships, but referrals, that's a category in its side of itself. Oh, definitely. And that's a great way to look at it too. Cause I mean, there's no better lead than one that was a referral from a happy client and that's for any business. Oh, totally. But the last thing you want that referral doing, though, is getting treated like a brand new client, right? That's where we try to keep keep it aside. That's really good insight there. So, And obviously, I'm sure you recommend to your clients to have special offers for referrals, give them sort of the quote-unquote inside hookup. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you know, you have a little bit of inside hookup. You have a little bit of something special for them. But I will tell you, it doesn't have to be financial. The most impactful thing I ever learned to do is from one of my mentors, a gentleman named Jack Daly. And what Jack taught me was is that you don't have to spend money to actually make more money. Sometimes all you need to do is write a card. And that is a methodology I've used. And a lot of times, whenever we get a referral and we close the business, it's not that we have to give the client money or a card or I mean, we, or I mean sorry, like a gift card or anything. We sometimes, it's just as much as sending them a handwritten note from the CEO, chief sales officer, whatever it might be, just saying thank you and showing our appreciation in a very personal fashion. We have generated more leads and more referrals, I should say, not just leads, more referrals from just doing that than anything I've ever done as far as giving discounts or anything like that. Amen. And I hope all the marketing leaders listening up there took that to heart. There's so much truth to that, Mike. Uh, the heck on our side, even on the job interview side. So we're hiring right now. So there's a little shameless mid-interview plug if you're uh, <laughs> looking to join an awesome marketing team. Fidelitas is hiring. FidelitasDevelopment.com. Check it out. We've got several open positions right now we'd love to talk to you about. 
But uh, regardless of that uh, plug, though, that you uh, so seamlessly worked in for me, Mike, thank you, by the way. Uh, <laughs> we've had candidates that otherwise wouldn't have gotten a second interview that just blew us away because they actually took the time to send us a handwritten thank you note. And I'd say maybe, and we have a pretty rigorous interview process. It's like four or five levels deep. I, I'd say out of the candidates that make it to the in-person interview, phase, maybe one out of every 10 will take the time to send us a handwritten thank you. It's such an easy way to stand out for anything, for anything. You got it. Mail, you know, traditional mail has become, is actually the new hotness again, all of a sudden, right? Just because no one's, no one's using it anymore. But beyond that, there is still, there's nothing more timeless than pen to paper. It's, it's as romantic as it was the day it was, you know, first started to be used. And it's and nowadays, because no one does it, it's even more romantic. You know, as they say, sales is a story. Depending on where you want your story to go depends on how the story will happen. And that, I will tell you, there's nothing better than telling your story on pen and paper and just giving a person the appreciation of taking five minutes to show them that you have good penmanship. And if you don't, you should practice it. <laughs> Shots <laughs> fired. <laughs> and, and to say thank you. And Tyler, we, we agree totally. I mean, I, I look for something unique like that and all of our you know, team as well. I mean, that's, you know, everyone knows I'm a huge pen to paper guy. Every single employee who walks in this company gets one thing that walks in here and they all get a copy of uh, the little engine that could, and it is personally addressed to every single employee who walks in this company. Awesome. <laughs> that's, that's great, Michael. Though I'm, I'm going to have to push back a little bit and say that a handwritten note from someone else on my team that actually writes legibly with my signature <laughs> on it can also be effective. <laughs> Your hieroglyphics do matter, Tyler. <laughs> yes, that's the, that's the problem is they're not far away from hieroglyphics. So that's, <laughs> that's another story. So, Oh, that's, that's great, Mike. And so you've got these two different pipes in a funnel that you're driving leads through. How do you go about tracking results? Because as we all know, that can be another battle in and of itself is getting sales to actually track where the phone calls come from. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, I've been an early adopter of CRM for a long time. I'm a big believer in it, a big supporter of it. But I've also been burned badly by CRM, right? I mean, it's I'm the case study for what you should and should not do in, when you're launching any of those systems. I'm not going to say one is better than the other because I've used them all. I've launched Sugar. I've launched Salesforce, Zendesk, Zoho. We're currently using Pipedrive here at our company and having amazing results. The thing I'll tell you with all of those systems are you you have to build them to what the team in which you're utilizing, Right. I found my best results in marketing to be in Basecamp personally. Um, I've had amazing results there because they can all be very creative and track all their stuff. And, you know, you guys are very creative minded people, you know, sales, sales are lazy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in the most compassionate, positive way possible, because I was a sales guy. The last thing we want to do is take three hours to enter all of our notes and meetings and everything. You have to create a system that does it for them. And if you do, the data is amazing, but you have to make it easy. And that's really what I'll tell you is the tracking is critical, but you cannot make it a second job. If you make it a second job, you won't see nothing. Uh, People just give up on it, quit, or just not do it. That's the key to any CRM is how easy is it? If you start hearing words like, oh, well, listen, it'll just take them five minutes after the call to get get their notes entered. you You just assured yourself you'll never see those notes. Absolutely. Spot on. 
And uh, that's a great piece of insight there. And, and again, you know, the software is only as good as the people using it, sadly, at the end of the day. Like if you can't, you know, it's kind of, you, you could even send them up with the cream dealer cream, but if they're not going to take the time to ask the question where they came from or qualify the leads or log the data correctly, then, you, then you're hosed no matter what. Uh, so. You got it. No, you, you absolutely got it. And it, it, you brought up something great there, Tyler, which is it's culture too, right? You know, you have to have that culture of believing that, sharing of the data between all the departments is critical. And if that's not part of your DNA as a company, it's hard to make one department be just that, right? It really needs to breathe throughout the entire organization. Oh, no doubt. And that's what makes it so critical from a culture standpoint from the top down. And it starts at the CEO level. So, so Mike, uh, any tips? Uh, and again, a lot of marketing leaders listen to this podcast, I think often get put into this position, whether they signed up for it or not, especially at smaller companies where they're asked to drive the culture because when in doubt, marketing can handle it. Uh, so, so any tips on installing that kind of a culture where people care and they want to collaborate and help more out uh, across departments? Yeah. You know what? One of the things I'll tell you is, and this was told to me by a good friend of mine, and I'll never forget the day I did it, which is you should be trying to buy from your company on a regular basis. For me, we try to purchase from our company um, at least, well, right now we're in early phase. We do it kind of once a month. Uh, but as you grow, at least once a quarter. And what I mean by that is the CEO of the company. And if you have a board, have the board of directors do it. That's very frightening, but you should do it. And have them record the experience and then share that amongst the entire organization. If you want to see quick things change, do that. <laughs> um, that is sound I, advice. Yeah. I told that same advice to a large Fortune 500 CEO. And he's like, oh, no, I know it's great. And I'm like, well, let's just do it. And we picked up the phone in his office and tried to call and purchase something from his company to say it was painful would be the furthest overstatement in a lifetime. It was the most painful sales experience of my life. And it was because of their own processes that got in the way and their own culture that was stepping all over them. And he literally took that experience and rewrote his entire company's makeup and how they sold and how they did everything from that one simple phone call. You know, sometimes that's all it takes. That's awesome. And by the way, feel free to humble brag here, Mike. You're welcome to name drop. We, we do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, would, I would love to, but many times I have NDAs like, that are 10 pages long with some yes. of these guys. <laughs> well, does it rhyme with small mart? <laughs> let's just here, let's just say they were on undercover boss after the fact, which made me feel a lot better. <laughs> nice. Nice. So very good. And uh, so circling back to Dream CSX for a minute, Mike, tell, tell me, uh, how do you go about helping your clients optimize their customer experience? Oh, yeah, totally. So I'm going to give it to you guys in two, two different fashions because we work, you know, we're very unique as a BPO because we do actually have a small business offering. I mean, I did that specifically uh, mainly because of my struggles and working with startup and not having access to a solution like ours. So in the small business world, the majority of what we do there is a lot of outbound lead nurturing, lead support services. So we're working with a lot of companies who they have sales teams, but the sales teams are, they're asking them to split their time with prospecting and closing. And the problem with that is, is your customer acquisition costs just go exponential at that point. 
So what we've done is we've taken over that whole aspect of it. So as marketing is generating those leads, we're actually the ones who are calling on them, qualifying them, working them, setting up appointments, and doing all that middle ground work that needs to be done by someone and really ensuring that the lead keeps kicking down the path. Um, so that's the small business side where my, you know, my real excitement level too is, is now is in our larger side. So what we call our action and our experience team, we don't do any outbound there. It's all inbound. There we're doing phone, email, web chat, social media, video, kind of you name the channel, we're supporting it. And everything there is like customer service, tech support operations, you know, everything to support consumers and or other large bodies, you know, distributors, uh, if it's a franchise, et cetera. And there, you know, we're handling it from end to end or as much as the company wants us to. And that's where I really get excited because especially when you're getting into mid and large enterprise companies, anything to touch the customer experience side is usually a top five P&L or top 10 P&L for most of these organizations. And, you know, when you know you can step in there from day one with a outsourced solution and lower that cost by 10 to 15%, it's such a gratifying moment just because you know you're helping the company be more profitable and be able to reinvest that into the aspects of the business they need to to continue to grow. And then with our company, just and this is where we're unique, is that we then have the whole other division of our company who then literally goes line of sight into how do we remove that high traffic type of support that's being supported by a human that might not need to be. So like password resets, or this could be, you know, just where's my order, RMA processing, or anything like that. Anything that's high repetition and high volume, we look at how do we apply technology to that and completely remove it altogether for the company. And that's where we really shine in our ROI, because now all of a sudden we're diminishing the cost even more and really show an exponential return on investment. So that's kind of where we sit. That's awesome. And so, Mike, for those of those out there that don't have Dream CSX in their corner yet, my first question for them would be, why not? But for those that don't, and maybe you know there are some marketing leaders or CEOs out here, they're wearing many hats. But for someone, someone like that that has to head up both departments, where should they start? So when you're running both departments, number one, the first thing I'm going to tell you is, and depending on the size of your company, is going to depend on how much resource you have available. If your company has a call center dealing with customer service, the first thing I'm going to tell you is you need to go make that person your best friend because all the data you need to become an amazing leader of sales and marketing is sitting with customer service or account management or whatever you want to call it. You need to go know everything that that person knows and literally take them to lunch and dinner and cocktails every moment you can. Once you've done that, <laughs> um, the next piece I will tell you is going to be is really looking at is setting up your funnels correctly. You know, my whole world has always been is, is organizing all of my data from the get-go, knowing it, as the old saying goes, right, a bad process is better than no process, right? Just build something that you can track. Um, you know, my mother always would tell me is, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. I think we've all heard that saying a thousand times. Track everything and hold yourselves to, to serious quotas. You know, if you're running marketing and if you are doing all the marketing, still hold yourself to a quota of how many leads you need to generate because your lead generation affects your sales numbers. Because if you're also running sales, you're going to have a quota, which is going to be based upon how much revenue you have to generate. And that rolls uphill. Right. So if you didn't generate enough leads, you're not going to make enough sales. And those two 
those two worlds go hand in hand. So you have to hold yourself accountable on both sides and you have to be just vicious on it. Do not allow marketing's inabilities to affect your sales team's demands, right? And what I mean by that is if marketing only generates 20 leads in a month, but they needed 50, you can't force sales to go make up the other 30. That's not fair. You need to hold your marketing team accountable to their miss and allow sales to do what they do. They're not marketers. They're salespeople. That dreaded A word, accountability. <laughs> well, totally, man. And I mean, and how many times did you watch salespeople pretend to be marketers and put out the worst things you've ever seen in your life that are totally in non-compliance of brand? And they're doing it because they're just desperate for leads. Well, and then the other challenge too is how many times they, do they think, oh, well, you know, marketing's overrated. I can do it myself. I, I can... I can get into paint and put a flyer together. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's exactly it. And that's where you start seeing the strife. But if you draw those lines from day one and just say, listen, we will never hold you accountable to this if it's missed, right? You still have to make your numbers, right? And you need to figure out how you're going to, but, but if it's marketing that screwed the whole department up, uh, you know, I'm sorry, it's, that's a marketing problem. You know, and that's something that marketing is going to have to deal with. But I will tell you, that is the biggest hurdle that many companies that I've, and I've had to be that person. I ran sales and marketing forever. And I remember, you know, you have that internal battle. You're like, no, I'm just going to go yell at my sales team a little bit. And you can't, you gotta, you gotta just kind of own it and be like, well, yeah, my marketing team totally missed. And that jacked my whole sales team up. It's not sales fault for missing quota. It's marketing's because they missed their quota. Truth. So Mike, and again, I know you've worked with obviously with Fortune 500 companies as well as small and medium-sized businesses as well. And so for someone on the smaller side that's starting out, maybe they're at that point, they've just grown enough that they can outsource either sales or marketing and get one of them off their plates. What would you recommend to outsource first and what should they keep in-house? Totally. I 100% believe in outsourcing marketing. Um, not all of it, but a lot of it as soon as possible. I will tell you that was the literally the first initiative I did inside of Dream CSX and the first initiative I've done in almost every company I've ever ran marketing with. And the reason is because, you know, I mean, Tyler, it's just you guys, right? I mean, it, you know, rated your guys' own uh, facility there in San Diego. I mean, you guys have access to technology and resources that I can only dream of. And the amount of capital it would take for me to build that out, it's just ridiculous. You know, it's why would I ever try to go after that? And the moment I would spend that capital to invest in that, I'm already outdated. Uh, let, I'm going to let that be your problem. <laughs> you know, you, you go deal with the licensing and the, the new tech and the new Adobe that just got released yesterday and get to pay all that money. You know, it's just, I'd rather you deal with that than me. And so that's my firm belief is, as soon as you can, find a great marketing partner. And the key there is great, though, because, I mean, in San Diego, you know this as best as I do. I mean, literally, I can go outside and say, hey, I need marketing, and 500 people will run up to me and saying, oh, I own my own company. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You need to find a real partner, someone, who, someone who's done it and someone who actually crosses all the lines of marketing, advertising, design, digital, you know, the whole gambit, um, because that's someone who can grow with you. Wow, guys, can you tell he's in sales? I didn't even have to script that for him. <laughs> this guy is a stud. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just the truth. You know, it's, it's easy to speak it when it's just the truth, Tyler. <laughs> 
Well, thank you for the kind words, Mike, and we will be respectful of your time. It's been great having you on. So I will leave with one last question, which is if there was one thing you want our listeners to take away from today in this interview, and you've given so many great nuggets throughout the interview, which that's all we ask for in a, in a great interview is, you know, make sure everyone gets some key takeaways that they can go take action on and improve their businesses and their livelihoods. But what's the one thing above all else that you would say is a, is a must a must remember, a must take action on, a must do for our listeners today. Totally. You know, and it's funny as, as, as you're saying, I'm thinking it through and it's something that I actually gave a recommendation to. So in the suites next to us is um, a company called Ministry Brands. They handle all the churches and all of their brands. It's another marketing firm, right? But I was had a chance to speak with their VP of marketing uh, just recently. And she, her and I were having this very similar conversation and I'll leave it with the recommendation I gave to her, which was, the best recommendation I gave to her was that you need to centralize in your company one person who's wholly responsible for the customer experience. I was that person at my last software company. And I will tell you, in that role, it provided me the autonomy to be able to go into each of those silos that shouldn't be silos, but unfortunately, sometimes they are, but go into each of those lanes, understand what is really going on, and force that collaboration amongst my teams. So, you know, be it customer service, be it the call center, be it sales, be it marketing, be it business development or account management, whatever. But I was the umbrella that helped merge all of that together. And in many organizations, especially large organizations, you see that each of those pieces get broken up. You know, you have your CMO, your CSO, your CIO, whatever you want to call them, right? Sure. But you really need that one person who owns that client life cycle and who owns that end-to-end experience to be able to be there, to be able to kind of bring those bodies together. Because I can't tell you how many companies I walk into and I ask simple questions and they're like, oh, that's handled by Marty. And it's like, well, you do realize that Marty could tell you one data point that could change your world and make everyone happier. And it's just bringing that together. So in summary, find one person in your organization that you can get the CEO or the executive leadership to agree to that can become that umbrella body to merge all of that experience, customer experience, sales, marketing, and force that collaboration. Because in that collaboration is you're going to find your company's secret sauce to true success. Amen. Such good stuff, Mike. Thanks again for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Yeah, it's been great. And I, you know, I'm happy I was able to get a word or two in, man, you know, trying to fight in there a couple words, you know, with all you're talking, man, but it's been good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, great stuff. And uh, don't worry, I'll, I'll take you up on that bottle of rhyme again here in a couple of weeks when I get down to Tennessee. Sounds good, brother. We'll see you here in Nashville soon. And thank you so much, Tyler, for having me on. All right. Hey, thanks again. And uh, Mike, one last thing as we let you go, where can our listeners find you or get in touch with you? Now, I appreciate it, guys. You can always reach us out to it anytime on our website, which is dreamcsx.com, which is customer service experience. And or you can give us a call anytime at 866-DREAM10. We'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you guys have on customer experience, sales, or any type of support you guys might need. And rumor has it, Mike's nostalgic. So if you call after 10 p.m., he still takes the night shift and sleeps on a cot in the office. Just like old times. So, exactly. so I encourage you, call after 10 and see if you can get him on the phone. And if it. that doesn't work, we'll post his cell phone number in the show notes and try that. There so. you go. <laughs> Text 24-7. <laughs> Anytime. So, all right. Great. Thanks again, Mike. Thanks, Tyler. I appreciate it. 
Thank you. We'd just like to say thanks again to Mike McMillan for coming on to the podcast. If you would like the show notes and any other kind of links that we may have from this episode, please go to lionssharepodcast.com slash 13. That's lionssharepodcast.com slash 13. Also, make sure you subscribe on iTunes. And if you've already forgotten the joke at the beginning of this episode, then please go ahead and leave us a five-star review. And until we see you again on episode 14, cheers. You've been listening to the Lion Share Podcast, brought to you by Fidelitas Development, your marketing partner for better brand loyalty.